0: Well, happy New Year's Eve to you all. I assume some of you have plans for later today. I'm going to ask that you set those aside. Don't get too distracted by what's coming up, what fun you might have. Uh, We all make plans. We, We all kind of look forward to what's coming. I think probably for most of you in this room, or at least many of you, you've probably made plans for even afterlife. Perhaps some of you have filled out a living will. You've made plans for what is going to happen with all your things and all your possessions after you pass away. Not exactly the most exciting thought on New Year's Day, but a reality for many of us, right? That we make plans for our things in the future after we're gone. Have you ever stopped to think why? Like, why do we make wills? Why do we care what's going to happen to our stuff after we're dead? It's not our problem. Perhaps we make wills because we don't trust other people, Ah, because we don't know the future, right? We don't know what's going to happen with my stuff, and I don't trust the government to make decisions with my stuff. I might not trust my own family to make decisions on what to do with the stuff that I've accumulated in this life. You know, wills wouldn't really be too necessary if we knew the future, right? Right? Or maybe it would just change how I write a will. If I knew the future, right? If I knew my kid was going to be a knucklehead and squander all of my money, maybe I'd give it to somebody else, right? Maybe if I knew that the market was just going to be completely obliterated, I would just, well, I'll spend all my money now and we won't have to worry about it later. No one will have to think about it when I'm dead and gone. Knowing the future would solve a lot of my problems, right? I, I could be a lot more confident in making decisions about my health, my money, my possessions. And yet that's the frustration we face in this life, isn't it? You and I don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen. And I wonder how knowledge of the future would impact your plans for tomorrow. If you knew what was going to happen tomorrow, the the next week, this coming year, how would that change the decisions you make today? What I want to challenge us with this morning is that as Christians, we have knowledge of the future. Oh, not in some weird mystical way, but in the way that God has given us promises. I don't want to argue that our knowledge of those promises actually change how we make decisions about tomorrow. It actually informs how I think about life. And today we're gonna look at a story of Joseph in the Old Testament and consider how he gave final instructions at the very end of his life to his relatives. And I want us to see that Joseph gave those instructions because he had faith in what God said God was gonna do. The main idea I want us to walk away with this morning is this, your faith in God today should inform how you think about tomorrow. Your faith in God today should inform how you think about tomorrow. And as we go through the sermon, I want you all to be thinking about what influences your plans about the future. What influences you the most that causes you to make decisions about tomorrow? I've been preaching this occasional series on the Hall of Faith, which are saints listed in Hebrews 11, where we're told the faith that they had. And these saints are in the Old Testament. Today, we look at Joseph and the faith that he had at the end of his life, found in Genesis 50. So I want to encourage you to turn to your Bible, uh, Genesis 50, we're on page 46 of the Black Pew Bible in the pew in front of you. And you'll be helped if you follow along. We're, we're just going to look at six verses, kind of a short text. I can't guarantee that means a short sermon, but I'll do my best, all right? Uh, we're just going to look at a few verses and consider really the end of Genesis, the end of the Genesis story, the end of Joseph's life. I'm going to try to break this text down really into two sections, verses 22 to 24. We're going to think about the certainty of God's promises And then verses 25 and 26, instruction for the future. I'm just going to look at this in two points. Follow along with me as I read Genesis 50, verses 22 through 26. Joseph and his father's family remained in Egypt. Joseph lived 110 years. He saw Ephraim's sons to the third generation. The sons of Manasseh's son, Machir, were recognized by Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. So, we begin with the setting of the final story of Genesis. If you remember the last sermon that I preached at the beginning of November, we were talking about Joseph's father, Jacob, who gave a blessing to Joseph by blessing Joseph's sons. And in fact, it was quite the miraculous experience because Jacob had not anticipated ever seeing Joseph again since he was a young boy, because Joseph's loving brothers, will say, sold him into slavery, right? They, they sold him into slavery and shipped him off, and then they lied to their father and said, well, your son that you loved so much, who was your favorite, he's dead. And that was Jacob's mindset through his whole life. And being re- reunited with Joseph, rejoiced in seeing Joseph and meeting Joseph's sons in a way that he was blown away with God's kindness to him, giving a blessing to these boys, And now we pick up the story at the end of Joseph's life, many years later. Joseph and his family are in Egypt. Uh, When Joseph had been sold into slavery, he was sent off to Egypt. And there, enduring many trials and hardships, actually found great blessing. Becoming the second in charge. Preparing the whole nation and even surrounding nations for a famine one who was leading in a way that preserved people. And so the family all finds themselves in Egypt as they reunite there, settled in a land that is fruitful, even in the midst of a famine because of what was stored up. And so the family stays there with Joseph. And so this story picks up as Joseph recognizes he is nearing the end of life He tells his family, his brothers, his children, this instruction. I am about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want you to consider, especially if you're familiar with this story, how odd of a statement this must be. Why is Joseph thinking about leaving this land? He was second in charge. He had all the wealth he could dream of in many ways. He had power, responsibility. He had family. He's seeing his great-grandchildren. Why is he talking about leaving this land? Well, I think it's important for us to consider that Joseph had a different perspective. and In one sense, prophesying of what God was going to accomplish. He foresaw that his family would need to be rescued from this land. Really, the language here of this idea of God certainly coming to your aid, that is mentioned here in verse 24 and again in verse 25, is quite literally God will visit you. Joseph proclaiming, God is going to come visit you and he is going to help you. He is going to protect you and bring you out of this land towards the promised land. All right, why is Joseph saying this and why is he so confident? Well, I think there are two reasons. One, I I don't think we should miss the significance of verse 23. Joseph sees his son and his son's sons. He he sees his great-grandchildren. He is recognizing the fulfillment of God's promise that out of these people, there would be a great nation. There was a promise given to his great-grandparents and his grandfather and his own father. From God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That they would become a great nation. That there would be many people in their family. That God would sustain them and protect them. And Joseph, who probably at one point in his life, in the midst of captivity, was wondering what is God doing if he's preserving our family? And here in verse 23, the reminder that his family is with him. That he has seen multiple generations, an opportunity to praise God and to be confident that God has done what God said he would do. But secondly, to recognize his confidence in the promise that God had made to his forefathers, not just of people, but that they would have a promised land. And here, Joseph saying, Now, God is going to bring you up from this land to the land that he swore to give to our fathers. There is this promised land, and what God has said he will do, he will accomplish. Here is a certainty because of his faith in what God promised. He had such faith that God had already done what God said he would do, and that God would do what he said he will do. That he's able to speak boldly about what he expects to happen. I wonder how we think about God as our father. You know, kids here in the room, for you guys, wouldn't it be amazing if you had a dad who always did exactly what he said he was going to do? Right, A dad who always followed through on every promise when he said, hey, I'm going to be there to play catch with you tonight, and he's there, instead of having to stay late at work or go to another appointment. Right? Wouldn't it be awesome if we had dads who did everything perfectly? And we don't, do we? We all kind of feel that groan inside. Some of us didn't even have fathers to be able to see that lived out. Some of us got small glimpses of that. The joy that it was for a father to fulfill a promise he made to his kid. I promised you I'd take you to Disneyland and here we are, right? The joy of that fulfillment. Oh, but for us as Christians, we have a heavenly father who is perfect, who is holy, and who will never fail to accomplish any part of any promise he has made to us. And so, fellow Christian, do you need to be reminded of who your heavenly Father is? Joseph spoke with great confidence, with great conviction and certainty that God would accomplish what he was going to accomplish, what he promised to accomplish. I wonder how often we forget what God has promised for us. Perhaps for you and me, that's because we've become content with what we have in this world. You know, it would have been really easy for Joseph just to say, you know what, it was cool that God promised this land to my forefathers, but through happenstance, I landed in Egypt, and by golly, things are going pretty well, you know? I've got what I need. I've got wealth and happiness here. I've got family. I think we'll just sit tight. You and I are blessed people. In many, many ways, we are content and should be or could be content with all that God has given to us in this world. But are we meant to be content in this world? Don't let this world lure you to loving possessions, wealth, popularity those things will not last. And they might last for a majority of your life, but I guarantee you when you come to the end of your life, whatever popularity, whatever wealth and possessions you accumulated, it will not matter. Those things will not go with you into eternity. And so I wonder, have you forgotten what God has actually promised you as a Christian? It is not the wealth of this world. It is not the comfort of this world. But maybe for you, things haven't been going so well this last year. And you think, well, Mark, that's cool that some people are really content with this world. I hate this world. This has been miserable. I've lost things. I've gone through hardships and pain. God hasn't loved me the way he said he would. And I wonder if you have set expectations on God that he actually hasn't promised you. Consider your frustration or doubt towards what you perceive God doing in your life. I don't know what you've lost this year. I don't know what you've suffered or what pain there has been. But I do know that God didn't promise to keep you from all those things. God's promised to sustain us and to keep us until that final day. And so I wonder, not only if you've forgotten what God has promised, but you have focused on things that God hasn't promised you. As if God owes you those things to be faithful to you. And so do you remember who has made promises to you? It is your loving Heavenly Father. He has given you all that you need in this life through his son, Jesus Christ. He will not fail you. He will not fall short. And he will not forget you. We aren't going to accomplish God's promises in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own tenacity. God will accomplish them. He is the one who visits us and helps us And so maybe you haven't forgotten about the promises, but you've forgotten about the one who has promised. He is faithful. Now, to those of you in the room who are non-Christians, who don't believe in God, or you haven't expressed faith in him to save you from your sins, I want to speak directly to you and encourage you that what God said he would do in his word, he has done. And even here in the language that Joseph says that God will come to their aid. Oh, my friends, indeed, God has come to our aid, and he has visited us. We just celebrated this at Christmas. God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus born to us in humanity. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to rescue his people. And you know what Jesus promised even in his earthly ministry? He promised a place that we would go with him, a land. And he promised a relationship with the Father that we would be brought into the presence of God. In John 14, Jesus taught this to his disciples Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you will also know the Father. Friends, these are the words of Jesus Christ himself that if we are to believe in him for salvation, we will know eternal life and an eternal kingdom, and we will know an eternal relationship with the God of this universe. Do you desire a relationship with God, or are you hoping in the things of this world, the philosophies of this world, to save you, to protect you, or to make life full and hopeful? Without a relationship with God, you will have no confidence and no certainty of what tomorrow brings. Don't look to yourself or anything else in this world to save you. It is Jesus Christ who came to this earth and lived a perfect life, sinless, and yet he died on the cross for our sins, paying the penalty that we deserve. And he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and he ascended to heaven where he prepares a place for us who would believe in him and repent of our sin. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let me encourage you and challenge you that today is the day to believe in him, that there is life and hope and joy and certainty in this life through Jesus Christ. Come talk to me or find someone else here that you came with or anyone else in this room that you could ask, what does it mean? What does it look like to trust in Jesus, to have eternal life? We would love to tell you what it means to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So in the first few verses here, we see in Joseph's life that he has confidence, he has certainty, and in essence, he has faith in what God said he would do. We're actually told about this faith in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 22, tells us that by faith, Joseph talked about this flight from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Joseph's faith in God informed how he thought about tomorrow. And so let's look secondly at the instruction for the future, verses 25 and 26. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. All right, so he gives this instruction based on his certainty that God was going to visit his people and rescue them, take them to this promised land. And he said, all right, because of that, I want you to promise, to swear an oath, that you're going to take my bones with you. All right, hopefully you're all feeling a little bit like that's a weird request. Like who cares? Just bury him in the sand, move on. What's the difference? Well, this is not something new that Joseph is kind of making up or dreaming about. Actually, this is something that even his own father said to him. Earlier in Genesis 49, Jacob said to Joseph, bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite in the land of Canaan. He's saying, hey, I want my body buried where God promised that his people are going to be, in the land of Canaan. And in Genesis 48, even just before that text, Jacob had promised to Joseph, God will be with you and he will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Even there, a bit of a prophecy to say, Joseph, God has promised that our people will be in the land of Canaan, that we will be in the promised land. And you're going to be there. Take my body as well. And so this isn't surprising that Joseph himself is settled that wherever God's people are going to be, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be left somewhere else. I want to be in the land that God has promised because that is what he has promised to accomplish for us, his people. And so Joseph speaks by faith instruction because of his faith in what God has said he will do. He didn't want to stay in Egypt. That wasn't where God's people were going to be. That's not where God's people were supposed to be. It was a significant thing to be buried with your relatives and with your family. But more importantly, it was a significant thing to be where God promised God's people would be. Joseph didn't have any dreams of staying in Egypt. Now, it is kind of an amazing thing how confident and certain Joseph is by saying, hey, You need to promise me that you're going to take my bones out of Egypt. This thing's going to happen. God is going to visit you and you're going to take my bones out of here. And I trust that you can relate to how certainty of what's going to happen actually informs the decisions you make. And I would argue many of you, even in the last few days, have lived this out in your own life. Because some of you are already making plans of what to do with your tax return. You know it's coming, right? You've worked out the numbers. You got a guess on how much you're going to get. You've planned that vacation. Maybe you haven't paid for it yet, but you planned it, right? With certainty, you know that money's coming in, and you're going to use it. Maybe it's a raise, right? Maybe you know you're getting a promotion, and you've already figured out how to adjust your budget so you can do those new things. We definitely all experience it as we plan for an event, right? We know... Somebody's birthday is coming up. We're going to plan with certainty that we can celebrate that birthday. I see that, Holly Schnur. Birthday is coming up. (laughs) Some of us love our birthdays, right? We're excited. We make plans. It's certain that it's happening, right? But how quickly we forget the promises that God made us and we get fearful about what's going to happen tomorrow. We get concerned. God, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what losses I'm going to suffer in the coming year. I don't know what failures I'm going to face or what fears. And yet I want to remind us that we have promises from God that inform how we think about tomorrow. We can be really intent on having guarantees in this life that make us feel secure about great decisions that we're making. But I want to challenge us that the only guarantees that we have are God's promises to us. It's the God of the universe in control of all that is around us. The one who oversees all things. There's nothing done without his knowledge. And so if if God's promises are at the end of all that we do in this life, why would we not prioritize knowing and understanding his promises now? Will they not shape and mold the decisions that we're making for the future. So do you see how dwelling on God's promises and knowing God himself and what He has promised to do for us, that will inform how you and I think about tomorrow. And so what I want to do here towards the end of this sermon is hopefully settle us in some very specific thoughts related to God's promises and how that changes. How you and i think about tomorrow see god promises to us as christians sanctification that we will grow spiritually and i don't know what this last year's looked for, like for you spiritually perhaps it's been a really difficult year perhaps you faced a lot of temptation and frustration or failures in your own walk with the lord Perhaps you're trying to make diligent plans of what this coming year looks like spiritually. I want to remind you that God's promised to sanctify you completely, that he's promised to complete the work that he's begun in us, right? In Philippians chapter one, he promises that to us. And so that means I can approach the coming year, the coming week with my fears of my own spiritual failures to say, no, I, I will trust that God is going to accomplish the work he has promised to accomplish in my heart. If he's called me, he will see that out to the final day. That I will be able to trust in him. So I don't have to fear that I won't do enough good to please God. I don't have to fear that I didn't check all the right boxes tomorrow and God's going to forsake me. Now I can plan to pursue God faithfully in my time in the word and in prayer and fellowship with other Christians, growing spiritually, knowing that I'm going to face hardships, I'm going to fail, and inevitably I will sin. And yet there's a God who offers forgiveness, who loves me, and who promises to sustain me until that final day. And therefore, whatever spiritual battle I find myself in, I can take confidence that God is is behind that spiritual battle fighting for me because he loves me as his child and he has accomplished salvation for me and he will accomplish that in my own life. God promises to us as believers that we'll experience eternal life. Oh yes, that we'll grow in our spiritual life and be sanctified in this life and yet we will experience eternal life. I wonder if you get so focused on making everything about this life that you've lost sight of the life to come. You've forgotten that this life is a blip in light of eternity. It's easy to forget that. When I wake up in the morning and my life is frustrating and it's hard and other people have failed me, or they doubt me, or they persecute me. And all I want is a little hope that I can get through today. I want to challenge you that actually looking at life eternal is what helps us get through today. It is a reminder that this life is not going to be perfect. And in the end of this life, I will be left wanting in a worldly sense. I will be. I will never accomplish all that I want to. I will never have everything that I want. I will never be at perfect peace in this world apart from God because there is an eternal life where I will know him for eternity and all things will be made right and no pain will be suffered and no wrongs will be done. And that gives me confidence that I can endure this short brevity of life that is but a vapour with the hope of eternity with God. But while I'm in this life and I face brokenness and difficulty, it's easy to get concerned about what's going to happen to God's people. And I want to assure you that God promises that the church will prevail. You know, this coming year, I don't know how excited you are about it, I'm kind of excited to see what happens. It'll be interesting. We have a lot going on this year. Uh, There'll be an election. There'll be all sorts of other things that happen in our culture and in our society. And yet, in God's kindness, that doesn't give me fear of what's gonna happen to this gathering of God's people. Because God has promised that he's given to us as Christians the church and that the gates of hell will not prevail. This church, the people of God, Maybe not this building, right? Maybe not this specific gathering for the next 500 years, but the people of God will last until God calls us all home. It is promised in His Word. And therefore, I take great confidence that it doesn't matter what politician says what, or what political decision gets made, or what happens in society or culture and how they might hate the church or think ill of God, the church will prevail. God's people are secure. And therefore, I can rejoice no matter what decisions are made in this society and in politics. I can take great peace and joy and hope knowing that God will accomplish what he promised to accomplish. He will sustain his people until the final day. And so whatever tendency of fear or doubt that I might face, I can submit to God's promise to say, God, you promised that you're going to keep a people for yourself to proclaim your name. So I'm going to trust that you're going to do that. Maybe today I can't see that very clearly. Maybe tomorrow it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. My friends, God will keep his people. He has built the church and he will sustain the church until that final day when we are all with him. And where will we be? Oh, we won't be in an earthly kingdom like this. No, we will be in a heavenly eternal kingdom because God has promised to us an eternal kingdom. He has promised heaven. And I want you here at the end of the year as you go into a new year to be thinking about what does it mean to have your heart set on the promise of God's eternal kingdom. To have your, your mind set on heaven above, not on the things of this earth. I hope that this isn't a year of you just accumulating things to yourself just to make life joyful and happy. Those are fine things. We're, we're meant to prosper in what we do. We should seek that out. Oh, but it's not where I put my hope. It's not where I put my confidence and my certainty of what God's going to accomplish. No, God doesn't promise you and me loads of wealth. He doesn't promise to us loads of possessions. No, instead, God promises us eternal wealth and possessions and His eternal kingdom. Oh, I wish that every day I could wake up and the first thought of my mind be I can't wait for eternity when all I get to experience is God's presence and God's people and all that God could ever give His children, everything I could ever want. Oh, that that would satisfy my every desire every day so I have no thought of the things of this world. I would make different decisions, right? I would think differently about the things God has given me to me in this world that they aren't meant for my eternal satisfaction. They are but temporary things that will come and go. They are truly gifts from God to enjoy this life for however long I have it. Friends, We are living in Egypt, and we are not meant to stay here. God has promised us a different land. Oh, he has promised us an eternal and a better land, a better home that you and I can never build for ourselves. It is in his heavenly kingdom, a far better kingdom than you and I can ever imagine. And so would you dwell on that kingdom? you set your heart on heaven. We can gain or lose all in this life, all the possessions, all the relationships, all that we count dear can come and go in this life. It does not change what God has promised us. It does not change what God is doing for us in heaven, preparing a place for us. And so my knowledge of God's promises gives me confidence in how I'm making decisions about tomorrow, that I don't have to secure my well-being in this life, but that I look forward to the eternal kingdom. Now, don't miss verse 26, all right? I haven't addressed verse 26, but I don't want us to just pass over this and end the sermon. Verse 26, Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. All right, so you might say, Mark, cool, Uh, Genesis ends, he gets buried anyway. Actually, I want us to pay attention to the words that are here. They embalm him. And what do they do? They don't put him in some crypt under a pyramid. They don't seal him inside of a tomb. They put him in a coffin. And in fact, the word here is ark. They put him in a vessel to carry him, to carry his bones. Why? Oh, because they're making plans to transport him, to transport his bones to the promised land. In Exodus 13, verse 19, we're told that Moses and the people of Israel took Joseph's bones with them as they left Egypt. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this, But you know, all those years, for those of you that know the story of the Israelites and what they're about to go through, right? We're we're talking like decades later, they don't even know who Joseph is. They've totally forgotten about him as far as the rulers of Egypt. They start persecuting the Israelites and God rescues the Israelites and brings them out of Egypt. And they take Joseph's bones in a box and they carry them through the wilderness. Through everything that they experience, all through the book of Exodus, until we get to Joshua 24, verse 32. Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried in Shechem, in the parcel of land Jacob had purchased from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. It was an inheritance for Joseph's descendants. My friends, don't miss the significance that God's promise was fulfilled. What Joseph was certain God would do, it was accomplished. It's easy for us to say, oh, he was put in a coffin, story over, the end, let's move on. And yet, as we continue to read God's word, we find out, no. what Joseph was confident God was going to do and certain that God would accomplish, he accomplished. His bones were taken to the promised land. He was buried with his family the inheritance that God promised to his people, this promised land. And when we look at a story like this and we recognize God fulfilled his promise in the Old Testament, my friends, he fulfills his promises today. And what he has promised you and I in this Christian life of a future kingdom, of heaven, of life with him for eternity, of sustaining us through this life, he is accomplishing and he will accomplish. And that means that you and I can go into tomorrow with all the certainty in the world that God is with his people. He has visited us for our good and for his glory. And so would we not go into a new year and into a new tomorrow, not with fear, not with uncertainty, not with this concern of what's gonna happen, but to lay those fears aside and to submit them to the promises that God makes to us and to say, I can face tomorrow Because I know with certainty what God has promised to do for me in eternity. I don't fear what tomorrow brings. We don't live for what this world offers. No, our hearts and our minds are set on an internal perspective of God's promises. We live by faith in God's promises today, which informs how you and I think about tomorrow. Would you pray with me? God, we rejoice in your goodness to us, in the gift of Jesus Christ who has saved us, in your gift of eternal life to us that you have promised to us and that we so look forward to and we long for. Lord God, we are tired and weary of this world and its brokenness and its frustrations and fears that we experience. We are weary. And yet, as we approach a new day, we proclaim with our mouths, God, that we don't look forward to the life in this world, but to the life in the world to come, where we are gathered with all your people and we rejoice and sing your praises for eternity. God, would you allow that truth to change our perspective and all that we face and all that you allow into our lives? that we would rejoice in your goodness to us through Jesus and long for the day of his return. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this new year, and for eternity. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.